So amidst all of the insanity that is about to get even more ridiculous, let's at least take a moment in the fast lane to look at something that is positive, exciting, and worth mentioning. And there's not going to be a lot of it when the Virginia Cavaliers get ready to battle the Tennessee Volunteers this coming Saturday for a noon kickoff, Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Central, down in the neutral site, we say that sarcastically, of Nashville, Tennessee. In fact, it's west of both Charlottesville and Knoxville and in the heart of Tennessee country. I mean, this will be a 99.9% Tennessee crowd. What are you talking about? There's like... There's Vanderbilt right there, man. You know, those diehard Vanderbilt football fans. Those ones will even also come out to support Tennessee because SEC, SEC, SEC. You know, those ones, the ones that support the conference, unlike the ACC, which let's be honest here. The go ACC move of adding Stanford, Cal and SMU, which looks more imminent. I mean, at some point, let's just throw our hands up and say, what? Who cares? I mean, Clemson and Florida State won out. North Carolina seems to be more than willing to go when the time comes. Notre Dame wants those schools at it, but yet they'll never actually marry the ACC, which for some reason finds it in their best interest to keep listening to a Notre Dame school that doesn't care about the conference. So in the midst of all of that madness and wondering why Virginia Tech and Virginia continue to go along with the boutique ACC, late-to-the-party mindset of adding these schools that have no relevance and were not desired by any of the other conferences when they were more aggressive in expansion, there still are bright spots that you can find and that ultimately it's just for the love of the game. Look, again, this is more of a business than it's ever been before. I don't fault the players for being that way because for years the coaches, the administrators, meaning the athletic directors and school presidents have been that way because the board of trustees are that way. And the board of trustees get to that spot because they're cold-calculated business people in a lot of cases. So it doesn't bother me. It bothers them because for a long period of time, they had a workforce that was willing to take no money and didn't challenge the system, and therefore they got to keep their money in power. And when you're in a position of power and you have access to that and money, you don't like to relinquish it. I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. That's often what really matters. Rich people don't get rich and stay rich by just giving away power and money. They very, very feverishly cling to both of it. So in the midst of all of that, where you can easily get as cynical as I sounded for the last, oh, I don't know, two and a half minutes to start the fast lane, there's a good story for Virginia. That again, let's bring it up now, because I don't know how many chances we'll have in the season to actually mention this, but Matt Ganyard is the 34-year-old who's likely going to be the kicker for the Virginia Cavaliers. May only kick off once in the game, either the beginning of the the first half or the beginning of the second half. Maybe they'll get a touchdown or a field goal customarily sprinkled in, like that sad field goal Navy got against Notre Dame to make it 42-3 to instead of 42 to nothing. Not a shout-out, Ed. I mean, I guess technically not, Trey. So maybe Matt Ganyard will get a little bit of extra time on the field because of that. But it's a cool story. I mean, look, this is what people want college football to be like. It's not what college football is like, but it is what people want for it to be like, and there is still elements to this which is an older guy just crazily chasing his dream. Looking at this from a, a you know, a 30, at the time, 32-year-old with a family, two kids, I, I couldn't just go to any school that was willing to take some old guy to kick um, as much as that would have been fun. I, I had to first find the schools that met the criteria of what I wanted, a great academic MBA program, 
Um, and second, see if I could thread that needle. And he's trying to. I mean, I give Matt Gagner credit. The kicker for Virginia, 32 years old, trying to go after his dream of being a college kicker. And, and the funny thing is, I mean, if this guy kicks well in his final year of eligibility, he only has one year, he actually might have a chance at the pros. Like, I don't know how good this guy is as a kicker. You know, if you're Virginia and you've had kicking troubles the last handful of years, and let's call a spade a spade, they've had a lot of issues in a lot of areas. But even in the latter part of the Bronco Hall era, the kicking game wasn't very strong. They didn't seem to solve that issue. And as great as college football coaches generally seem to be, at so many areas, even coverage units on special teams, kick return decisions, punt return decisions, punt coverage, kick coverage, how to get a kicker that can make a field goal can be befuddling. I mean, a great name, by the way. Isn't Doesn't this sound like a tough football name? Noah Ruggles, the kicker for Ohio State. It's like the Wiggles, you know, which thank God my kids never got into that. Noah Ruggles missed the field goal against Georgia last year. He makes it. They win the national title because they were going to kill TCU, much like Georgia ended up doing. For years, Alabama struggled to find kickers. Missing kicker kicks all the time in big situations. Virginia's not alone in that struggle. So it's not out of the norm of possibility that a guy that's 34 could figure this out because, and again, I don't think football is beholden to analytics the way that basketball is, the way that baseball clearly is because it's really just pitcher versus hitter and it's a, an individual sport, mono e mono, disguised as a team game, baseball is. But football, there is the human nature component to it in terms of how things work and the psychology part. And as advanced as analytics are, and as much as smarter people love to rely on that stuff, and there's a place for it, I'm not saying there isn't, but I think you also have to thread the needle, as, as we just heard a moment ago, you have to thread the needle of analytics with the human element and what you can see on film, but maybe not statistically quantify that kicking is a challenge to find. So it's a cool story for Virginia. You've got this guy who's 34, 32 years old, former Marine, a wife in tow with two kids one of whom is under a year old. God bless this guy for giving it a shot. And he mentioned the key cinch to why he picked Virginia over other schools. It, it kind of goes into, <laughs> laugh all you want about this, with the idea of the ACC adding the academically prestigious Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Yes, said with pinky out while we're holding our drink here. That it does go with academics to Virginia. Darden School of Business actually is a really good business school. And if you're a former Marine who still cares about your career and you got to find a way to justify going out for the team, it's not general studies major, shall we say. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know what those are in certain programs, <clears throat> LSU, among others, where you're like, okay, that's the keep them eligible course. Not the case. And so that's what's really cool about this for Virginia. And look at the history of this guy. Matt Gangard said he never even wore a helmet, helmet and pads until... A couple of months ago. Until about three weeks ago, I'd never put on a helmet or pads before. Uh, so I, I didn't have anything to really go off of besides, hey, I've been to some of these high school recruiting camps, which, uh, you know, the, the old guy showing up to camps with 16, 17-year-olds, they would look at me and go, are you a you a JUCO transfer? I was like, ah, maybe back in 2008 I was. <laughs> he didn't also say a lot smarter than a JUCO transfer again. If you're going to Virginia for the school of business, you got to be a lot smarter than that. And granted, some kids go the JUCO route. And it has nothing to do with academics to go there or to a place like Fork Union. It's because 
physically they weren't as developed as they needed to be, and they wanted to get developed in a different spot where then the clock starts ticking on their college eligibility a year later, but they're more physically developed and ready to give it a run of possibly two years because you'd be three years removed from high school to go to the pros. Larry Fitzgerald's an example of that. Uh, Good grades, but not great. Uh, But maturing in approach to the game by going to Valley Forge is what he did to the other angle to that, the physical development part. And that's part of what you can do. Fitzgerald was always physically developed. It was just the mental approach to the game and kind of kicking it to another level. But he only needed two years at Pitt after the year at Valley Forge to go pro. But that's why some kids do go the JUCO or even the military school route. Not the majority of them, but there are cases where that happens. But even whether it's that or actual military duty, like Matt Ganger, the Virginia kicker, um, it's amazing. I mean, give, give the guy credit to be able to stay as mentally strong as he did over... A decade's worth of time, not knowing if he'd ever get the chance to finish out his dream of kicking. Over that 10 years of service, I just kept kept staying at it with the idea that someday maybe I get this opportunity. Uh, and so fast forward to last year's when I should have hopefully been playing, that would have been that fifth year. Uh, but due to the scheduling at Darden, the business school, Matt, it essentially wasn't possible with the academic structure. Matt Ganyard elaborating on the the difficulty of trying to figure this thing out. I mean, I guess if you waited 10 years, you know, what's another year to wait to be eligible to kick? But good for him. And, I mean, if there's a program that could take someone like this, I think Virginia partially is that way. But I'd actually say a lot of the SEC or Big Ten programs, or at least your power programs, the ones that will end up in the Super Conference whenever that gets formed in college football, the USC's, the Texas's, the Michigan's, Ohio State's, Alabama's, LSU's, those type of schools – I actually think they'd be fine with a 32-year-old kicker. If you can make kicks, you can perform your job and we'll be able to take you. They don't really care about all the other stuff that goes along with that. But it is a cool story, the Matt Ganyard story, the Virginia kicker who's come in and is going to, by all accounts, be their kicker when they battle Tennessee, and at least in the near term, unless he really struggles to actually perform his task. It's a cool story, you know, especially for a show like ours where we're appreciative of the men and women who have served in our military and our armed forces and a guy who served our country in the Marines and wants to go back and finish off his dream and be able to do that while going to a very academically challenging business school. I mean, I guess it's not as challenging as knowing, and he was never in active duty, so he never had to uh, be shot at or anything like that. He admitted that when he spoke with the media last week, Matt Ganyer did. But just to go through that is awesome and really cool. Awesome, but not the same kind of awesome. The savings you get when you shop at InsaneRadioDeals.com. See, the season is on its way to a conclusion with the Lynchburg Hillcats. But your ability to get tickets this season, that's not over. They still are there at InsaneRadioDeals.com. So go there, get your tickets with a $10 food voucher, and make sure you take yourself out to the ballgame. Thanks to InsaneRadioDeals.com. Now there are other stories that we get to address right now before we get into the weeds on the NASCAR race weekend. That comes now, those stories that we address in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. It is a story that we will elaborate on further tomorrow. But there is a potential vote coming this evening that the ACC would vote in SMU, Cal, and Stanford to the conference, which 
on the surface sounds ridiculous. And the question I'm just going to throw to you, Trey, right now, and we'll elaborate on this in an InsaneRadioDeals.com fast take if this thing comes official in the next 24 hours. And we will go a step further, probably discussing this to start the fast lane tomorrow. Do you get upset by this because it's another sign the ACC looks ridiculous and just how they're handling this? Or is this just more a sign of apathy because it clearly indicates that the schools that are serious about athletics and particularly football success are probably on their way out of the conference whenever the first financial opportunity comes where they're not going to be crippled by giving up the grants of rights and paying the big exit fee? Well, it might not happen tonight because that meeting has been postponed due to what happened at UNC today. I don't know if you saw that yet. I did not. Fill me in. So, Nicole Auerbach tweeted, with everything that happened in North Carolina today, you know... In lieu of the North Carolina situation. Yeah, they they, they delayed that meeting, so it won't happen. Okay, so I did not know that. Thank you Okay, so it won't happen today. So, uh, but it could happen. I mean, we'll see. It's kind of uh, eat or get killed and... you know, this might be a Hail Mary, but it might be a Hail Mary to kind of give, you know, this conference, you know, a couple more years to try to figure things out. Because, you know, the, a bubble could burst soon in terms of realignment, in terms of TV TV revenue, whatever it may be. And <laughs> Suddenly the ACC looks good. Yeah, if they're locked in longer than anyone else, like they might be in a good spot, which... No one's talking about the rights bubble bursting, which is kind of burst a little bit with the Pac-12 situation. Um, so I, I think the best and worst thing for the ACC is the grant of rights, and I think getting new members in, adding any sort of revenue, trying to figure it out, getting creative is the one thing they have to do at this point. I, I see where you're coming from from that. I, if I were the ACC, I'd prefer to pursue schools that actually care about football and bring that level of brand cachet and interest where fans might be able to go, oh, I'd actually care to watch them because all that we're going to get now is ACC after dark. And I know you as a young single guy might not mind football games that kick off at 10:30 PM. And yes, on those Friday nights, when we have Jefferson forest Cavalier football presented by trostlaw.com. I too would be okay with a game that kicks off at like nine o'clock Eastern time, because I'll actually catch some of it whenever we wrap up our coverage. But outside of that, I mean, if it's a Saturday night, I really don't want to be staying up late because Virginia or Virginia Tech have some game that kicks off at an ungodly hour because it happens to be played at Berkeley or Stanford as part of this ridiculous part. No, Ed, I figured it out. We just go there. Then it's normal time for us. We just have trips to California. It it, it would have to be... I mean, I guess that's the one way we could make Pac-12 after dark after Jefferson Forest Cavalier football presented by TrostLaw.com. Much like the ACC, Trey is thinking as creatively as possible for whatever that's worth. Number four. Speaking of ESPN and the rights bubble bursting, Disney and Amazon are discussing a possible deal with ESPN for streaming rights, where Amazon could, quote, offer the service through one of its streaming offerings, helping to expand its distribution while possibly also taking a minority stake in ESPN, end quote. Trey, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier about the potential for consolidation, but this type of pseudo-partnership, and really basically where Amazon might start the process of taking over the operation of ESPN and the direct-to-consumer approach. Folks like Sports Business Journal and the New York Post, John Orrand of SBJ and Andrew Marshan of the New York Post, have speculated for a while that not only is the rights bubble going to burst at some point, as you just mentioned a moment ago, Trey, but even more so ESPN trying to trend toward the direct-to-consumer model. But inevitably, when that happens, consolidation is going to be a reality. And much like we're seeing the conferences consolidate in college football, 
and therefore there's less in the immortal words of our guy Kenny Powers. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Or to be grammatically correct, fewer. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. To go around, that's gonna be the same thing with people and how much they're willing to pay and what they're willing to buy in terms of entertainment properties. And if you've got the partnership with Amazon, I mean, I don't know about you, Trey, but we got an Amazon account in our house. I would presume you do as well. I mean, I use my parents, but yeah. Okay, yes. Well, and inevitably that will change at some point for you as well. But this is the reality. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, it will change for you, Trey, whenever you find that special someone and all of a sudden you call it a deal. That is when it will happen. Okay. Once you get married, and probably realistically once you get a couple years even further from that, then your That's parents almost are married. I mean, we're not talking about almost, Trey. <laughs> we're talking about that's, it actually happens. That's a different podcast. It is 100% a different podcast. But no, that's the reality of this particular situation. Pivoting away from that to somebody who is very good at pivoting with the ball in his hands. Number three. The Los Angeles Lakers announcing they will unveil a Kobe Bryant statue at the arena in LA on February 8th, 2024. Um, look, I'm not big on this whole statue thing in a lot of places, but if there's ever a guy that embodied the modern Lakers, and Shaq was part of that certainly with Kobe, and certainly everyone knows about Magic and Kareem and Wilt and the Lakers of the 80s. Pat Riley, the coach then, Phil Jackson, the coach most recently. Is there a guy that, from the modern era of basketball trade, seems to really embody what people want to be as a player in terms of their approach to the game? People love LeBron. And again, you and I have our opinions on the one-two order of him as the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, but when it comes to posters on the wall beyond basketball, I'm talking about other sports and athletes. I don't think for the modern athlete, and I, I'm speaking about kids that are probably in their teens now, let's just say 15 to 30 right now, Kobe Bryant has got to be number one on that list because of the impact that he had in terms of a lot of those kids taking his dedication mindset and the fact that Kobe Bryant was the guy who was noted for getting up at 4, 4.30 in the morning and demanding trainers and staffers be there for him to shoot the ball or to put him through rigorous workouts all the time and that he lived, eat, and breathed his craft. And while a lot of players I don't think actually emulate that part of Kobe Bryant, I think they want to and that's the part they resonate with when they are on their supposed grind. Nothing against LeBron James, but as far as that mama mentality, there is no LeBron mentality when it comes to basketball. Again, great as he is, it's the mama mentality that I think takes it to another level and he played his entire career with the Lakers. Granted, he forced his way there because he didn't want to play in Charlotte or his handlers didn't want to play in Charlotte. But still... I get why he would get the statue because from an iconic dedication to the franchise perspective, Kobe Bryant, I think, tops the list even over LeBron because everything Kobe did was in Laker purple and gold, and I guess you could say white and black with the alternate uniforms, whereas with LeBron, a good chunk of his success has also been in Miami and Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think LeBron is a clearly better basketball player than Kobe Bryant, uh, but I think Kobe has a special reverence in the basketball community um i guess his good comparison is michael jordan uh you know I, i'll never forget watching his last game uh of of the year like watching that one it's um it was cool to see so i i i uh i think kobe yeah, obviously he's gonna be an all-time laker he's maybe the greatest laker ever it's him or magic johnson magic is said it's kobe but uh so i i personally think it, it should be uh interesting to see his place as time goes on because of how he is um how he's remembered 
Number two. Trey Lance over the weekend acquired by the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I mean, okay, great. Go for it. You know, I mean, this is your backup, Dallas? The guy who played one season at North Dakota State, who had an obvious hitch in his downfield passing motion, and was not the original choice for the San Francisco 49ers. A guy we're scheduled to have on later this week, Michael Lombardi of the GM Shuffle podcast and the former NFL executive. He, he's been open about that numerous times. How, from what he gathers, not that Mac Jones has been anything great in New England, but Mac Jones was the guy that was wanted. And Chris Sims, by the way, I believe also reported that after the initial trade, that it was Mac Jones that was the apple of the eye of Kyle Shanahan. Yet, the backlash on social media and that photo that came out about uh, Mac Jones not being in good shape at the end of his time at Alabama kind of doomed him in the eyes of perception. And again, he hasn't done a lot to validate that in the NFL. But that got the Niners brass off of Mac Jones and on to Trey Lance, which, if anything, I'll give them credit as an organization. They gave up a ton of assets and still are one of the favorites in the NFC this year. They are a team that, if they had a viable quarterback, would have made the NFC title game competitive last year. I still don't think they were going to win that thing. And yes, part of the reason they didn't is the flaw in the Shanahan offense always seems to be offensive line play because whether it's Shanahan in San Francisco or Mike McDaniel, the protege in Miami, where they had injuries to Tua, people forget, but also the backup Teddy Bridgewater and the third stringer Mike White last year, the Niners have also had those same challenges. So that is something that hinders the quarterback's development. But when you are not the hand-picked guy of a coach and you make the decision to trade up for a quarterback only to not be the organization's preference and just change it based on public backlash, that's where I think a lot of this goes. Lance had one year in college outside of the one game he played in that kind of manufactured game at North Dakota State during the COVID season of 2020-2021 before he left and became eligible for the NFL draft in 2021. He was never the guy there. And it clearly showed up. If he had halfway decent productivity, they would have bought into him sooner than bringing back Jimmy G in the offseason last year before the start of the season and not going after Sam Darnold this offseason. This decision was sown a long time ago. It's merely amazing that Dallas is going after him to be their backup quarterback when he's a clear project. And some Dallas fans have questions about Dak Prescott and think Prescott actually needs somebody to push him. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. We'll go in depth into this later this week, but the outcome for the Daytona race was not sewn up until the very end with Chris Buescher winning. Well, it was a really good race. Three wide at a number of different junctures. It was exciting and entertaining for sure, but because Buescher, who had already won this year and locked himself into the playoffs, got the win, Bubba Wallace gets into the playoffs. And yes, the Bubba haters out there will go, well, it's because Ty Gibbs crashed out late in the race. I mean, okay, great. But the guy that was pushing at the end, if it wasn't Chris Buescher, was Brad Keselowski or Kevin Harvick, and they were already locked into the playoffs anyway. So while they have not won this year, Keselowski and Harvick, it really didn't matter. Chase Elliott. People are upset, in part, at Bubba Wallace because he got in over Chase Elliott. These seeds were sown way in advance. Remember, Elliott knocked himself out of a race because of the retaliation, the right hook, on Denny Hamlin that got him suspended. He also missed racing time because of what he did away from the NASCAR circuit with the skiing accident. And, I mean, you can say they should be allowed to do what they want during their spare time. I mean, that's great, but if you're dedicated to your craft that much, you don't endanger yourself to where you put you and your team in jeopardy of accomplishing the ultimate goal, which is still out there from the owner's standpoint, an owner's championship, but is not out there for Chase Elliott as a driver. And I get that that's a topic for a different time, but the seeds of what happened at Daytona, and Chase Elliott admitted this in his speech with FrontStretch.com and the other reporters there after the race, but to Chase Elliott's credit, 
he was aware that the seeds for what happened at Daytona in terms of who got that final playoff spot, Bubba Wallace over Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, Ty Gibbs, or anyone else, were sown based on everything that happened before that event. And there is your Fast Five at five -ish. When we return in the Fast Lane, we'll transition to the ACC. And more in-depth, as it's game week, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Liberty. All of that's still to come. This is the Fast Lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and Trey Lyle VT, his socials, Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Insta.